I'm Katie. I'm Ashley. And I'm Audrey. And this is Ambitious Appalachia. Mine and my mom's biggest argument is her health. 100%. Um, she had half of her uh, liver removed a couple of years ago. They had found a spot on it. And that's a very like, it's actually like one of the scariest surgeries because it's so vascular. Um, she had to have like some blood transfusion. Like, I mean, it was, it was a really scary surgery, which we were not fully, I don't think we were fully educated or prepared to do when we went in. And, um, like, you know, they told me when she came out, she might be on the vent and she would have to be in like the ICU. Like it, I learned that the day of, um, but now like just trying to like, anytime she's sick, she doesn't want to go to the doctor or her, her, you know, she's, um, she's diabetic. So her sugar's like crazy. That's our biggest argument. And I'm finally just like, I have, I have like guilt to her. This is awful. I'm like, you know, you're not going to live to see my children. You're not, if you don't stop, you're not going to live to see my children. And she gets mad, but like, it's never anything serious. But that's my biggest argument with her and my dad is just their health. Um, I say that and like, I'm not the most healthy human and like, I should do better for them. And like, you know, uh, but that's the hardest part is just watching them like get older and like different things that I would have never thought, you know, in high school to be worried about like her health, you know, I would never have thought that I was like, Oh my God, if she would just shut up, (laughs) you know, but now I stay on her ass about her health for sure. I can relate. I stay on my mom and dad about their health too. Like when they complain about things, I'm like, okay, you need to go to the chiropractor. Like my mom, like she had been complaining for a whole year about going or about her back and her sciatic nerve for literally over a year. And I, she went and got a CT and she got x-rays. And I was like, those are not going to show anything. You got to get an MRI, honey. It's going to show it. And she's like, I don't have time for it. I was like, well, you need to make time. It doesn't matter. And she would put it off and it was over a year, put it off, put it off and put it off. And then now she finds out that she had to have surgery. So I get it. And I tell my dad the same thing, you know, like go to the, he has black lung. I'm like, go to the doctor. And he starts coughing I'm, and he thinks that he has COVID. I'm like, go to the doctor. And he's, and I'm like, you have black lung. You need to go to the doctor. You might actually die. You might be the one of the people that might die. And he's like, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll make it through everything. I'm like, no, you won't. Yeah. I think it's weird. Like the culture of me growing up is we never went to the doctor. Like we didn't go to the doctor. And there's so many people now, like, you know, I'm friends with a bunch of like moms and stuff and their kids are at the doctor every damn day. And I'm like, that just did not happen. You know, when I was young, like we just, she would give us some over the counter stuff and that was it. And I'm like, we, it's okay to go to the doctor. You're paying for that insurance. Use it, use it. But it's so funny that you talked about your mom and the neurosurgeon. I've been listening to this podcast called Dr. Death. And there was even like a Peacock show on it about the Dr. Dunce. Um, have any of you all heard of it? He was the neurosurgeon that like butchered so many. I mean, it was, I think he like intentionally tried to hurt these people, but it's insane. It's a very good podcast, but it is insane. He's serving a life sentence now. And that guy who plays on Dawson's Creek. Um, I know you guys aren't that young. Um, you know Dawson's Creek, right? I've never watched it. Oh my gosh. 
crazy. Um, I watched it, so I was forced to watch it as a small child. Okay, well, he he played he played Pacey, which is the only reason I know him. But his name is Joshua Jackson. He plays in the um, the Peacock television show of the Doctor Dunch. And, um, but the but the podcast was so good. She like interviewed some of the fellow doctors who had to go up and like clean up some of his surgeries. And he ended up like paralyzing. Actually, um, his best friend, he did surgery on his best friend and his best friend is now quadriplegic because of the surgery. Um, he killed a couple people. Do surgery on you. Even and like he killed a few people, why would you let him do surgery on you? Well, it's crazy because the hospitals where he worked were supposed to turn him, instead of like, you know, instead of like turning him into the database and like turn him into the medical board, they just let him resign you know they like force his hand in resignation so it doesn't didn't have to hurt his career and that's what she kind of goes on about is just like and the hospital is called Baylor um it's in it's all in Texas but it's a very interesting podcast and it shows a lot about our healthcare like system and she's actually doing a new season on a different doctor and um not that we don't you know doctors are humans they're going to make mistakes but can you know continuously you know hurting people and causing this amount of harm is clearly an issue but it's really crazy like the podcast is just insane that he was never reported until like the very end and she interviews even some of his patients like she interviewed the friend the best friend that he like is now quadriplegic and he just can has to use like his phone by you know voice and just like hearing his story like it I mean it was so sad because of course he trusted this human that was his best friend they had played football together and you know he trusted him with everything he could and now he's you know quadriplegic and can't move and had I think he has bilateral amputees so it's really I mean it's just really sad it's so sad but it's a really good one it reminded me because you said your mom had the surgery and like how you'd like didn't research that he was qualified and because we're quick to just trust, you know, they're a doctor. We trust them, you know? Oh no, not me. <laughs> they're, thinks that they took her appendix without needing to. I swear. I literally, Ashley, Vicky, I literally like. <laughs> they stole her. They, that is a story for this podcast. Not today, but <laughs> my, my appendicitis my acute appendicitis during COVID was not needed. It was not needed. Listen, you I'll take that to my grave. I did not. I lived with Audrey and didn't even know she was in the hospital. She didn't tell me until like days after of being in there. I think she was supposed to come to my house and she was like, and it was like after like we had planned weekend after weekend and something had come coming up and something came up. She was like, you're not going to fucking believe this, but I've got <laughs> appendicitis and now they're going to do an appendectomy and I'm in the hospital right now. And I was like, oh my well, God. I guess we're not going on the boat this weekend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think like, like very shortly after, I remember we planned a, the, a new day to do the boat day. And like, I was scared to death because like, I feel like my incisions were going to like rip open. It was laparoscopic, but I still feel like they were going to rip open because it was all tight and weird feeling. And uh, I remember just like being on the boat and being like, I don't know if I could do this. (laughs) I wasn't, it was during COVID, like full-fledged like lockdown. So I wasn't allowed to have no one with me. And it was my first surgery ever. And like, it was like hardcore, like 
you don't go like people wasn't leaving their homes like that's when this was it was in may of 2020 may of 2020 is when it was so like literally right after like covid hit us and everybody was in lockdown is when i had my appendicitis no no yeah of my apparent appendicitis yeah alleged 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 (laughs) i literally like i still haven't paid the bills over there and i'm not paying the bills over there not until they give me that appendix back not until i have some i need apologies is what i need (laughs) (laughs) welcome back to ambitious appalachia I'm Katie, and I'm here with Ashley and Audrey, um, and we also have a guest, as promised, today here with us. Um, Audrey, why don't you tell us a little bit about who our guest is today? Yeah, Katie, so this is Victoria Jude, everyone. This is another one of our ambitious Appalachian women. Um, She is from Kentucky, from Louisa, actually, Um, and... Vicky and I met, we've actually met longer than five years ago, but we actually really got to know each other five years ago. Um, and how we kind of got to really know each other is we just literally randomly lived together off of, out of nowhere. <laughs> so <a> my, <laughs> what did you say, Vic? On a whim. <laughs> yes, on a whim. Um, so just to give a little background to that, I was moving out of a house with another friend of mine and because the lease was up and she was finished with college and she was moving back to her hometown in Lexington. A friend had told me that there was somebody that um, they said, Vicki, um, she, she's looking for a roommate. And I was like, what Vicky who are we talking about and they were like a girl that hangs out with girls on the volleyball team so that's how I like kind of put two and two together because at first I was like who is that it sounds familiar but I don't know so then I was like oh that's who so-and-so hangs out with on the volleyball team and I was like oh, okay she she must be a good person for so-and-so to hang out with her and I was like okay okay so I'm not gonna lie went and creeped like your Instagram and I was like okay she seems like she's cool she's fun like she's you know she doesn't seem like anything bad I'm getting good vibes all all is well all is well so um I think I honestly I don't remember like did we message on Instagram Vicky or did we like message through text yeah, I mean, it started, um, you messaged me on Instagram, and actually, I was surprised that Audrey even knew who I was, <laughs> and I actually didn't get the full story about, you know, Audrey's side of things until here recently, and we've known each other forever now, like, we're best friends, but it was always something that, for me, like, I was, I was shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, this person just fell into my lap. This is perfect. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think like I asked you, Vicki, like, you know, did, you know, how did, are, are you looking for a roommate? If so, like, you know, what is the price? What does the place look like? Where is it at? Blah, blah, Vicki was super nice. She responded, you know, this is where it's at. This is the price. I'll send you pictures when I get home from work, blah, 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 whatever. You can come look at it. So, you know, we, <clears throat> we set all that up and 
I will say this, Vicki. <laughs> Vicki don't want me to tell this story, but I'm telling it anyway. <laughs> yeah, <care> for it. <laughs> I'll tell it the nicest way. <laughs> I love you, Vicki. Um, so me and Vicki met like while I was looking at the house, I think like she was like, were you walk walking in as I was like looking or did you yeah. like, um, like that? So I would randomly come home for lunch and I don't know why I just didn't think that she was going to be there when I, when I came and I go to pull in and I see at the time you had your Jeep and I was like, uh oh, uh oh, but it was already too late because the front door was, was already open. So I was like, how am I going to prepare for this? Like I, we had never spoken person. Like I was that social media high person. I was like, Ooh, Audrey, Ooh, you know, but I never actually talked to her and I'm very awkward. I mean, any, all of you guys know that. <laughs> so not nearly as much as you think. Oh, in this moment, it was extra <laughs> awkward. You probably walked in like, I can just picture Ricky walking in. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. Like, no, she I didn't know what to do. With, she couldn't. No. <laughs> she was just trying to like, she was just like, I mean, you, you, I was just like, I was, and so I just like jumped in, was just like, I like it a lot, you know, like. <laughs> She was laid back, cool, calm, and collected. I was a nervous wreck because I need, I wanted her to room with me. I want, you know, wanted to make a good impression. She was older than me. So I was like, you know, what does she know about me? What has she heard about me? And I left that encounter and had to meet a coworker. And I was like tearing up. I was like, she's not going to move in with me. I made the worst first impression. <laughs> If anything, Vicki, that made me love you more, to be honest, because that just shows just, I don't know, you, you didn't fake anything, you know what I mean? Like, you wasn't trying to be fake or any, like, not trying to be you, you were just, you know, you. And honestly, like, ever since that moment, I was just like, I love her. <laughs> you, you're just, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Not all the time, but sometimes, yeah. But anyway, so after that, after the weird situation with me and Vicky running into each other, as I'm looking at the potential apartment that or townhouse that we're that I might live in with somebody that I don't really know and she doesn't know me. But you know, we both decided, sure, let's do it, try it out. Um, and at the time, I just had one cat, and Vicky didn't have any animals. Right. Yep. I'm remembering right. correctly. So then I went on vacation and my cat, Ginger, who I've had since 2015, she gets out of the house. She's in solely an inside cat. She never goes outside. So I was gone on vacation. She stayed at my mom's house and um, she got outside once. And my mom told me she got outside once and it wasn't a big deal. We didn't think it was a big deal, at least. And so bring her back to the apartment with me and Vicky and she's pregnant. She's big as a bear. So she ends up having six kittens. So six kittens were born in that townhouse that we lived in. And we raised six kittens plus ginger in that townhouse. Um, but 
there's a lot of crazy things that have happened in that townhouse. And I think that, you know, even though that was a on the whim type of decision that we had, you and I both, I don't regret it one bit. And I'm so glad that, you know, we, we did that. Uh, it was a crazy decision, I guess, but you know, I, I didn't have any bad feelings about you. And, um, I was like, I think this is somebody that I can have as a friend and, you know, you're one of my best friends now. So I'm happy that we, we went on a whim and did that. Yeah, honestly, it was the best surprise. Um, and I truly think it was meant to be, you know, um, Audrey, I couldn't be the person I am today without you. Oh, Vic, I couldn't be the person I am today without you. You keep me nice. <laughs> Somebody's got to. But yeah, so that's how the story, how me and Vicky became friends. So Vicky, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us, you know, where you're from, uh, where you went to school, um, how old you are. Well, um, like you said, I'm from a small town uh, in eastern Kentucky. It's Louisa, but I actually live on the outskirts of Louisa. So you actually had to drive like 25, 30 minutes just to get to Walmart and to school. Um, so up a hauler with, and it's the type of environment where you go one mile down the road and you have a family member and then you go the next mile and then you have another family member <laughs> and all my family just lives up that holler. Um, but I graduated there in from Lawrence County High School in 2013 and then went on to the University of Pikeville where I got a bachelor's and master's in business administration emphasizing in healthcare management. So I'm 27 and I currently work in the healthcare industry for a large healthcare company where I'm the manager for a community outreach team that services the Medicaid eligible population. Yeah, it's definitely something that I have really I take pride for and I have really put my time and effort into because the work we do is meaningful and actually is able to go beyond just what a normal marketing team would do because we are working with the vulnerable underserved population. So Vicki, how did you get into this job right now? Like I know that, you know, when we were living in Pikeville, you were working for a FQHC. So how did you go from that job um, or just, you know, how did you <clears throat> get into all of these different jobs? How did you transition to this? Yeah, so I knew I wanted to help people and make a difference in the community, but I didn't always know what that looked like. So, I mean, throughout trying to develop what my career would look like, what that ideal career for me would be. Um, I always lean towards working with the Medicaid population. And the reason I say that is I actually have a handicapped sister who doesn't talk or walk. And I think that was a big influence on me growing up because <clears throat> I, one of 
the first jobs that I had working with the Medicaid population was in Eastern Kentucky for an organization called FiveCo. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that, but it was through the, um, my position was through the, the Medicaid waiver program to be a respite caregiver. And the reason I did that was because I knew that my mom needed help to take care of my sister and her health needs. I needed to educate myself and know how to take care of her if I wanted to take care of anyone else. Um, so, and I was like 17 when I, when I started that. And then when I went on and I was in college um, and pursuing my degree in business administration, focusing on healthcare management, I still wanted to stay in that, in that area of expertise. I wanted to grow on my skill set. Um, so I ended up having a professor that was the CEO of a nonprofit organization that you were talking about, an FQHC. And I knew going into my senior year that I had to have an internship to graduate. And I was like, this is my opportunity. So I just, after class one day, I just talked to him and I said, you know, do you have room for me? Like, I would love to be able to do my internship with this healthcare organization. And I think that was really a big stepping stone for me because over, I actually worked for that organization for four years. And over those next four years, I just hustled. I worked my way up the ladder. And before I transitioned to a new city, my last position was actually contracted through the state with the Medicaid program where I led a team of what people consider connectors in the state of Kentucky um, that actually assist the individuals with the Medicaid enrollment process and what comes with knowing, working with the health plans to help them understand their benefits and programs. So, I mean, once I got to that point in my life, I had climbed the ladder with that organization as much as I could to stay in the field work that I was doing. And I think it was just timing. I, I was ready for the next step. I think it's super interesting that we have two very different degrees, but we are working in this with the same population and kind of um, in just different ways, you know. So when I was in college, I was a connector. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, I worked uh, at a local mental health agency and they had contracted with uh, mm-hmm. the Kentucky Connect. And so I was a connector. Yes. And um, so that's interesting, but you were probably still in high school, <laughs> a little bit older than you. But yeah, I think it's super interesting that our our, our degrees are very different, but we are doing the same work, you know, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because, um, I'd never met Vicki ever. And we had a, um, my company had a training, we're contracted through her health plan. So we had this training about the benefits and this name popped up and it said Victoria Jude. And I was like, there can't be that many. So I was creeping Facebook and just trying to see where you worked. And I was like, um, just on the training. I was like, um, so is this Vicki Jude from Pikeville? And she's like, yes. <laughs> Such <laughs> so, a nice icebreaker too. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think that was super interesting though, that we crossed paths like that and being from 
Eastern Kentucky, going to the same um, college. I don't know if you were there when I was there, but just having like the same background and meeting yeah. virtually, like, like how we did. I think that was super interesting. Yeah, it was definitely like a, a 360 effect where you're like, oh my goodness, it is a small <laughs> world. <laughs> when did you start at UPIC, Vicki? I started in 2013. Were that you there, actually? Yeah, I graduated in 2014. Okay. It took me a little longer to graduate because I lived my best life in college, so. That's okay. Um, so I'm curious, what is this connector though? Like, so if let's say that somebody in undergraduate right now is interested in that, like, do you have to have like, is it like a company that is offering this or is it like an opportunity within the school or? I'm no, curious. there's multiple. Um, it's actually broken down into regional programs and they all report under what is you know, in some form or fashion, the Kentucky Health Benefit Exchange mm -hmm. um, for that works with Medicaid, the Medicaid program and qualified health plans. Um, now there are some one-offs like she was talking about mental health organizations and stuff that aren't actually contracted underneath that umbrella program, but they are still contracted through the state um, based off of their, their grant they received. But it is something, um, Audrey, I think that you were, yeah, I mean, remember when we talked about like what that process was to be able to seek qualified health plans or, or yes. Medicaid services? So that's what that about? is? Mm-hmm. Okay. That was what I did back then was actually work with people, initially working with people on helping them enroll and see what they're eligible for. See, you know, I was like the case manager that worked through, you know, those documents and eligibility requirements to get that coverage. So it was very important for me to know all the benefits, all the health plans and be that non-biased um, person to assist with that process that anyone could come to regardless of what health plan they wanted. It's came a long way. So it started under the Obama administration yeah. and um, I, like it was very new when, I mean, it was first rolled out when I, when I started doing it. Um, so it's interesting to see how far it's came, but I remember there was a lot of controversy around it at first. Um, but my favorite part was that there wasn't a health plan that was just pushed on them. They got to see the options. They got to see the coverage. They got to see, you know, deductible, like whatever, like, you know, um, qualifications that they met and like what insurance plans, you know, they were, that they could have and what coverage it was. And so that was my favorite part is that, that it was all up to that individual, which one they wanted. Um, but it has, it's grown and came, you know, just changed so much, but, um, yeah, I thought it was an interesting first little job, um, to have especially just meeting these people you know and hearing their stories and some had been laid off some were working and it just was it's also interesting to see our healthcare, like how healthcare was back then and especially how it's came now because medicaid didn't have i don't so 
the health plan that Vicky works with, there's so many damn benefits that I did not know. And as a hospital social worker, I would have loved to have known those, but you know, we don't really, we work with so many health plans that there's really not an option, you know, for us to know all of it, but yeah, I just, I, there's so many benefits and that training alone that you did, like they'll still refer back to it. I'm not going to lie, like screenshot so many of your slides. I was like, oh, we need this. We need this. <laughs> oh, I've got you. you can, I can be your go-to source for any questions. I know. I tell them, I'm like, I got connections. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it yeah. sounds like, like the connector position that you guys both had back in college. That sounds like it would be a good entry job for someone else that would be in college that is interested in you know either social work or even you know marketing and management or any sort of like healthcare career really even if you're treating patients or behind the scenes administration wise um I mean would you guys agree oh yeah it's eye-opening awesome well um you know, Vicki, working with the vulnerable population, working with the underserved, um, I, I work with, you know, underserved areas too. I, I'm, we're all very similar here. You know, uh, Katie has experience work. She doesn't work with the vulnerable or underserved right now, but, you know, she has before. Working with vulnerable and rural patients or that community or just that population, you know, it takes someone that is very gentle and someone that has a lot of empathy and that someone can really see someone else's perspective. So um, Vicki, you've been doing this for a while, you know, what, what makes you so passionate about what you do? Yeah, I mean, for me, it hits home because of my family's situation and how I had to grow up being an advocate for my sister. Um, despite all the challenges that she faced or the limitations that she had in her you know, abilities um, to communicate, she somehow radiates positivity and really brings out the good in this world. And, sorry. No, you don't have to be sorry. That's the kind of impact I want to make on other people. So, I mean, how can you feel called to service your community and not feel passionate about the work that you're doing? It's truly a humbling experience and yet so rewarding to know that I get to go to work every day and it has a meaning. And there's a bigger picture of the bigger impact that it's making. Girl, I cried all over my episode. You are good. I love it. It just shows your passion. You are good. I love it. Like I might be crying. I can't. I mean, I'm watering up over here. (laughs) Jeez, Vic. She didn't cry earlier when we were practicing, just so y'all know. Well, she had to save the tears for the performance. Exactly. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're just giving Vicky a tough time. We're trying to make you laugh. Um, so Vicky, um, talking about like, obviously your sister had an impact on the career path that you chose. Would, would you say that 
being so far away from her was like a difficult decision to make to was that part of your decision yeah absolutely I mean when you're from a small town and I was definitely the way I was raised was very sheltered um it was very rare it, it was very rare to be this far away from home everyone you know even if they left the their home and for college they usually came back so um it was eye-opening for my family to be like oh wow you know she may build a life in you know that's hours and hours away and i did feel like I was sacrificing my relationship with my family and my sister. And, you know, if something was to happen, I'm not right down the road to come. And, you know, um, so it's definitely not always the easiest thing, but I do think that there's a bigger purpose and why I do what I do. And, you know, I think my sister would be proud of me. I think she would too. Me three. Ashley? Me four, sorry. <laughs> so Vicki, working from home isn't as glamorous as what everyone thinks. I mean, I feel that way. <laughs> I'm, I don't know if Katie, Ashley, and you feel that way, Vicki, but for me, Everyone thinks that working from home is glamorous and, you know, and I am, I'm not saying that it's not glamorous. I love it, but um, there are things that you have to hold yourself accountable on and, you know, you have to stay disciplined. So what do you do, Vicki? Because I know that you, like, there are times where Vicki will work till like 10 at night and that might be something that she talks about too, that she has to do better at, but, you know, like, Vicky is hardcore. She is up and at it early in the morning and she goes until sometimes she goes too far. So how do you stay motivated though, Vicky, in order to, you know, do what you need to do? Yeah. I mean, anyone who knows me can definitely say that I'm a type A person. So um, that comes with the perks and definitely some downfalls with that on overworking and trying to make sure that I balance that work life. Um, but I feel that if I lay out my schedule in advance, if I start my day early enough to, you know, prepare for the day that my days are always better. And it's not always easy. When I first started um, remote work, I was used to being out in the community and traveling over 75% of the time. So that was a big adjustment for me because I was so community driven, um, to really take a step back and say, okay, I'm working from home. How can I still have that same impact? How can I still service my community in a meaningful way? But I do so by, being, you know, very intentional with my time. So when I am working, I'm all in. But because I give, give and give, I try to, when I'm not working, I try to surround myself with people 
in my personal life that really fill me up and bring out to those qualities in me because I want to surround myself with people who have that, that same drive, who have those, that's goal oriented mindset. Uh, it helps me, it helps me stay motivated. And once my weekend is over, then I'm able to be more productive and really refocus my tanks full. I'm able to focus in on my work again. Um, but another thing that helps me is just, like I said, planning out my week, designating time for any meetings or presentations. You know, I have a team that reports to me. So I have to be able to stay on top of team projects. And I know that sounds simple, but it is about accountability and I have deadlines. So I have to be able to prioritize my work. What's your favorite stress reliever? Bubble baths. Okay. I, <laughs> I love bubble baths. I <laughs> love bubble baths because she would take them after work often mm-hmm. when we lived together. <laughs> is it like you can tell how stressed out Vicky is by how high the water bill is? Like, is it? <laughs> I never saw how high the water level was, but. Um, no, maybe how many bubbles were in the bath. Oh, okay. Let it and if up. there was Oreos waiting on her dresser, which you got out to. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but I think Katie and Vicky, you guys are like alike when it comes to like the preparedness. And maybe Ashley too. I might not just not might not know Ashley well enough yet. But I know Katie and Vicky, and you two are definitely top A. Top A, top A, top A. Ashley, are you a top A? No, no. I, I, but I have a planner and I'm, uh, I plan and, you know, I work remote too. And it's a big difference than coming from a hospital, but I swear I work more now. <laughs> um, yes. and I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm top A, but I would say I'm, I'm, I'm kind of borderline. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm a little more chill. Um, I'm, I'm a little, I would say I'm a little more chill, um, as far as how I come across, but inside the anxiety is literally like crazy, but I portray to be more chill, I guess. So people, um, can't see the anxious side of me because it can, it can be bad, but, um, I think working remote, I'm just going to be a social worker here for like five minutes. Um, Vicky, because Audrey had said that you work late and you got to set those boundaries for yourself or you're going to burn yourself out. And because, because I know this because you work in a field where burnout is high, um, because it can be very, I think anytime you work with like a vulnerable population, there is always that, um, uh, compassion fatigue. So, I mean, it can just emotionally like your empathy, you, I can like, you like even virtually like right now, like I can just like, it just comes off of you. You're like, (laughs) like, it just like, it like oozes out of your pores. So like, just, you know, I think bubble baths are good. And I think, you know, just being sure that you practice self-care because you're so empathetic and that can definitely a hundred percent wear a person down. 
Um, I'm learning that too. Like I'm saying this to you, but I need to be hearing it because, <laughs> um, like it's, um, it can definitely wear you down emotionally, you know, because a lot of the times if you feel like you can't do something for someone or make an impact that you should have, or thought you would, or uh, meeting deadlines and knowing like what that means for the population that you're working with, that can really just take a toll on like your mental health and, I'm number one victim of that. I wouldn't say victim. That's a horrible word to use for that. Um, I'm just, I'm very, uh, what word am I looking for? Example. Yeah. Yes. I'm an example of that. Um, for sure. Practice (laughs) self-care. Well, and I, I agree with you that it's, it's harder to do when you work from home because like, it went from working from home and I worked from home before the pandemic. So I got to see this change where there were boundaries at one point having a remote office. It went from working from home to living at work. Like there was a shift during the pandemic because companies knew that you were like at their disposal. What else were you going to do? You couldn't leave your house. And then like that attitude just kind of carried on and then everyone felt so grateful to have their jobs there for a little bit that we were like I'll do whatever you say like it's and it's kind of um perpetuated I don't know it's it's tougher for me I have the same problem like I just all of a sudden you look up and it's 8 p.m and I never I always remember like working in my home office and like knowing it was 5 p.m prior to the pandemic it's just something about pre-2019 or pre-2020 is a different work from home world than it is now So I have a question. Do you guys feel like if you take breaks or you were to go on a walk or you were to just like look up for five minutes, do you feel like um, guilt of, yes, okay. So I do too. I feel guilty about it. And um, I just like want to know how to rid that, (laughs) rid that guilt of feeling like, oh, I should be working. You know, they're paying me. I should be working. When in reality, when I worked at the hospital, I would a hundred percent go outside for a minute, like just take a breather or walk down and talk to one of my friends, you know, but I'm there and I'm on the clock and I'm there at the place. So it was okay. Right. But at home, you're like thinking, I can't like take 15 minutes and walk my dog outside. Like that's not work. That's not productive, but it's okay to like sit and talk around at the office, like with your friends for 15 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, it's a very different, like, it's so different, but I get more done. And I realize that like, I get a lot more done working from home. Like if I just sit down like four hours, like straight, I get so much more done than I ever did at the hospital. Cause I was running my, I was just talking doing my whole thing but yeah I'm glad that I'm not alone in that guilt because I'm just like oh nope can't do that I gotta go back Mark I literally I used to feel guilty at first like if you know I would run out and go get lunch or um you know I would walk pepper for like 30 minutes or something um I used to feel guilty but I think I've like gotten down a routine to where like it's I just know it's my routine now you know and I don't like I know that I'm working and I know that you know I'm getting stuff done so I'm just like I need these breaks in order to get this stuff done to be honest like that's how I've been looking at it but I did feel guilty at first when I like when it was like hardcore lockdown with COVID I did feel guilty because I was just like 
should I let somebody know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm new to it. So this I'm hit six months today, right? Working remote. So I'm still working on getting rid of that guilt, but I am taking more breaks um, than I was. Like I will break and unpack for a minute because the 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 boxes were driving me like insane. <laughs> um, so I was taking a break to work, but you know. But back to the type A, type B, whatever we want to say, Ashley, I think you and I are more alike because I'm definitely more chill than yeah. Vicky and Katie. I know that for sure. <laughs> I have to tell them to calm down. Listen, I'm just saying the common denominator is you. So something about you attracts <laughs> us to attracts the crazy anxious people. Yes. Apparently, it must. My but best friend, I think... My best friend, Gloria, I 100% think she's type A in her own little way. Um, and so I can calm her down and she can calm me down um, with our anxiety. Um, but we can't ever like use that advice on our own. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we just can't. Like we just cannot use that advice on our own. We have. To, I have to give it to her. She has to give it to me for it to click. I don't know why. Different ones coming from somebody else. Yeah, I think it is. it's nice to have that balance in personalities, though. I'm like you said, I need someone to chill me out every now and then. Like I come to Audrey to be like, please put me in my place. Tell me, tell me, you know, I'm overreacting. And it's not that I am necessarily dramatic as I used to be. I will give it that as I used to be. But it's more so I analyze things to no end. I'm very analytically driven and I will think about something for hours on, on, on end, just trying to process it all. And so sometimes I just need somebody to be like, you're overthinking. It's, it's not that, you know, it's not that hard. It's not that complex, like take a step back and it helps. I agree. I overthink too. I think that's one of my, I overthink, but I don't overprepare. I don't know why that's not like, <laughs> um, I'm fucked up. Okay. I don't know why that doesn't work that way, but uh, <laughs> I definitely have people that I go, my mom's number one though. I can call her and be like, so this and this and this and this. And she'll easily be like, you're insane. It's not that big of a deal. And I think that, um, one thing though, you know, just, from you and Katie and Audrey, one thing that just hearing it and um, what I love is that you make these decisions for yourself. And like you guys have all, you know, like Vicki, you said that, you know, it was hard that you thought that you were like, you know, leaving your family and like, you know, making that move. And um, I think that was some of my guilt too with moving. Um, but one thing I noticed about myself and I just want to ask you guys is, um, I question every decision I make a million times. So when you made that move, like, did you question yourself? Like what, what guided you from like, after you were questioning yourself to really like make the move and make that jump? I think ultimately I, you know, not everyone's going to be on board with your decision. Yeah. And ultimately I had to trust my instincts and I feel like 
there was something pulling me to make that decision to, I was ready, but mentally I was questioning, you know, because I was feeling overwhelmed, is this the right decision for me? And that's something if I could give any advice is trust your instincts. It's okay to be overwhelmed at first, but knowing that there's a reason that you're making that decision and what's the worst thing to happen is that you don't like it. And then you move back home, but you know, at least you're at peace with knowing I put myself out there. I trusted my gut and I learned from the process. Damn. We should have interviewed her like weeks ago when I was having mental breakdowns about moving. (laughs) From now on, you can FaceTime Vicky. She may charge you for her services at your hourly rate is, but she does work late at night. So get her later. And you know, like I, I went to school to learn like these therapy techniques and the CBT and you know, all this stuff. And like I knew the feelings I were feeling were, you know, validated, but still I was like, oh God, what am I doing? You know, and and I think I finally just was like. I kind of had that mindset that you did. What's the worst that can happen? I move Mm -hmm. home. And, but the biggest thing for me still right now is not relating moving home with failure. Because I feel like, you know, if I move home, I have failed. Um, And trying not to have that mindset is something I'm working on because not liking something doesn't mean that you fail. And so Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to have that too, because it it might push me in a direction to where I stay somewhere Mm -hmm. where I'm not happy out of the fear of failure. And um, do any of you guys relate to that or am I just crazy? I have to say, I I think it is all about your mindset and perspective because I think something that, I mean, it happens is that we tend to define failure as a negative thing. Um, But it's not. It's actually a growth stepping stone into where you're actually going to end up and so I try to keep it light and take a positive approach to it that you know when I was making these decisions when I was going through the interview processes I did I didn't always have the best interview I had never interviewed before to that extent for a job that could potentially lead into a lifelong career and so the pressures of that was definitely um I know I know Audrey can could probably speak a little more about walking into the house and me preparing for those interviews but it was something I had to practice and I think I had to build my mindset for it and say okay if I fail at this interview it just means that position wasn't meant for me. Yeah. I, have, have you interviewed, you interviewed, how many interviews did you have to go through for your job now? Um, for this, with this company or just yeah. with this company, when they started the interview process, it was quick. Um, at that time, they didn't have the virtual interviews. Now it's usually about a three-step process where you do like a virtual interview with pre-recorded, you have your timed on questions, and then you either do some type of 
phone briefing interview and then you do the the bigger live video interview or in-person interview and uh, but back then I think they I did an inter uh, a phone interview and an in-person interview but I had multiple people in that interview oh, that were questioning yeah. me at once yes. yeah oh god yeah that one is tough yeah um who has someone dying at their house right now that was my dog okay. <laughs> crying because she wanted to go outside. So I apologize. <laughs> that is so, talking, so I just, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I love it. You need to take care of Rain real quick. Yeah. Dog mom props. I'm sorry. Guys. You need to take oh, care of Rain. Y'all know. No, I thought you my had a home. Door, my front door needs some WD-40. So. But Ashley, back to that point of, you know, the fear of, you know, you're, you relate moving back home with our failure. And I think only you can decide that only you get to say whether that's a failure or not. Nobody else gets to make that decision, but you, you know, so Vicki was saying like mindset, like only you get to say and make it, if it is a failure for you, or if, you know, just moving to Lexington wasn't right for you. And Pikeville is what what you think is right, you know? And then 10 years later, you might say, heck, Louisville is right for me. Let me try Louisville. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so only you get to decide if that is a failure. Nobody else, only you do. That's a, that's, yeah, I love that. That's how I should have been looking at it. And I guess I felt so much pressure, you know, because people, as soon as you say you're going to move somewhere, people want to be like, no cost of living is so high they're stabbing and shooting you know they love to like focus on all the negative and they're like oh, I hate that life that traffic blah 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 you know and so immediately I'm like I'm gonna prove your ass is wrong like what and so I have that mindset around it because uh you know a lot of people I would say a lot of like not my friends or family, but a lot of people that, you know, just acquaintances that I talked to would have that negative outlook on it. And it just made me be like, have that mindset of, I got to prove these bitches wrong, but that's letting them have too much control. Like it's letting irrelevant people have too much control over me and my, my mental health and my well being. So thank you for this therapy session today. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> I don't know how much I contributed, but you're welcome. But anyway, let's get back to these questions. We got four more left. So, so Vicky, moving from Pikeville to Louisville, a small town, Louisa girl. How big of a change was that for you? And how did you, you know, maneuver through that? It was huge. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I was excited, but it was by far the scariest decision I've ever had to make. And so I felt all the emotions. Um, just to give you some background though, I had applied for that job months ago. Like I honestly didn't know if they were hiring or not. So I had come down, they had provided the interview opportunity and I had come down on a Friday for my interview at 10 a.m. And then for by 3 p.m. they had provided me the offer. So, I mean, it was just so fast paced so much. I just didn't even know what to expect. So looking back, I have to say it was definitely overwhelming, but I think having the support system that I did 
and knowing that there were once I got my foot in the door that the, the opportunities that were going to come out the reward outweighed the risk with the big move what are some tips or some I don't know just some guidance that you would give someone that is making a move like that I think giving yourself grace during that time and know that there's a process to making that transition and that it is going to be overwhelming and it, it you are going to have those moments of doubt but knowing that once you get to that point in your life where you can feel like I made the right decision um, is so eye-opening and so exciting. It it's, truly is one of the best and scariest experiences of my life. Would you say that you had to level up as a person or like as a professional? Yeah, I think growth was a big part of my journey, both individually and professionally, because when you go into a, a bigger city, there's more competition. You have to know what you bring to the table, what your self-worth, what sets you apart. Vicki, um, how long do you think it took for yourself to uh, <laughs> get in a routine when you moved? <laughs> well, probably, probably pretty quick just because that's like my go-to, but it definitely was something that I was challenged with when I first moved because I didn't have a routine and everything happened so fast. Like I literally moved all my stuff on Memorial Day and then started my job the next, the following day. Oh my God. That is, I, I commend you so much on that. Cause I, I took off the Friday before the Monday after I was like, I need some time. So good for you. So since I have known Vicki, um, I got to know Vicki really well in Pikeville and I, you know, me and Vicki stay in touch now. She FaceTimes me, I FaceTime her. We'll talk about, you know, things that we got going on or, you know, we'll see each other whenever we plan to see each other. But I will say the Vicky that people knew in Pikeville <laughs> is not the Vicky that she is today. And I say that with all the great things behind it because every time that I talk to Vicky, um, she just gives, she, she says things that like make me admire her so much more, but also I see the confidence in her every time that I talk to her and like, it's, I know, I think I notice it because I would always, you know, um, me and Vicky would have really good talks in Pikeville and I would tell Vicky, you know, you got to stand up for yourself. You got to do this, Vicky, you got to, you know, put your foot down Vicky or don't let them talk to you like that or you know if somebody's being mean to Vicky no not happening I'm trying to tell Vicky how to handle the situation so I would always talk her up and 
give her the confidence to do this, 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 or whatever. But now Vicky is solely, she is Victoria Jude and she knows who she is. She knows who's her, she knows her worth and she takes care of business. And I really, I'm really super, super proud of Vicky. And I think that, you know, I think that a part of this growth that she's experienced was because of her move to Louisville. She's found a new version of herself with this new chapter of her life. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that I've got to see the growth in that. And I got to see both sides of, you know, both different sides of Vicki. Um, do you, you know, do you feel like the move to Louisville made you grow into, you know, who you are now or helped you gain that confidence that you have now? Well, thank you so much for all those kind words. Um, yeah, I definitely think so. And it was the best decision for me and who I wanted to be. It's crazy. I look back and I think, I cannot believe I used to seek my worth through the eyes of other people, but I was a pushover and it's true. I did. I used to find value in the way I made other people feel and the way they interacted with me. And I think a lot of insecurities came from that. I didn't owe anyone an answer. I didn't, owe, you know, no one knew me here. And especially with the work that I do, I was able to build a line of trust within myself, but also through that trust, I was able to earn the respect of others and I knew my worth. So therefore they got to know my worth. It wasn't that I gave them the opportunity to define who I was. I knew what I had to bring to the table. I knew what my skill set was and I knew what I what value I could bring to the company and I think taking that time to say I have all the qualities to be a leader but now I need to look internal and say what's keeping me from being going to that next level what's keeping me from being the manager that I want to be and for me it was I'm my worst enemy and I put roadblocks in front of my success. Um, so I just had to take time to self-reflect. If I wanted to be able to serve others and to have a team look up to me and be and actually feel, trust my word and my guidance and my decision-making, I had to stop questioning my own decisions and change my mindset. So I just focused on, you know, that internal growth, I was always goal oriented, but at some point you reach a peak if you don't grow. And so I think changing my mindset to towards that internal journey of long-term growth allowed me to go above and beyond my expectations in life and what I really was capable of. I always say that I'd rather be uncomfortable than bored. Yep. I love that. One of my favorite things that I've learned as a leader, um, just in this little while is, um, getting uncomfortable, getting comfortable being uncomfortable is one of the, um, 
I think the biggest lessons I've learned so far, because I have to have some uncomfortable conversations about productivity or um, work ethic and just getting comfortable, having those uncomfortable conversations has been a huge growth for me because um, I want to, I want, you know, people to have a leader that they can relate to and they can come to and talk to and us, you know, work things out because we do work in such a difficult, you know, um, field as far as, you know, like I said, compassion fatigue and different things. But I also want that level of respect of where you're going to do your work for me. You know, you're going to, you know, you're going to um, have meaningful engagement. You're going to, you know, be productive and having those conversations plus like trying to keep that um, relatable, like relationship, you know, of, you know, this is someone I can go to and talk to when I'm having a bad day or something is finding that balance has been super hard, but I'm working on it. And I'm, you know, just reading about different leadership because we all adapt to different leadership styles. But I think that's the number. And I, I tell everyone this, and my mom says it about me and like, I love being uncomfortable. Like I hate being comfortable in my comfort zone because I get so bored. Um, so I love like pushing myself into these uncomfortable um, situations or maybe not uncomfortable, just like learning, you know, um, situations. And so I think that you said, you know, learning about yourself has been the biggest thing. And I think, honestly, I can say that just from adulthood only, you know, just like in my adulthood and like, especially as I've, you know, transitioned careers and different things is learning more about myself is super frightening, but um, learning and, and growing is the number one thing that I have for myself right now. And um, learning more about myself and how I adapt to different situations and having that confidence in myself. And I'm confident in my skill set. Like you said, it's, it's the it's having so much of what other people may think, you know, like what these people that are, that I'm a manager over, like what are their thoughts regarding my skill set and my leadership and um, getting away from that mindset of projecting my confidence and, you know, having them hear me has been, um, is one of my biggest goals right now, but also like something I've really enjoyed learning about myself. So I appreciate you sharing that because it is, it is a, uh, it's tough to have that self-accountability and that like, you know, self-reflection and learning about yourself and then adjusting from there, you know, growing from there. This is what you're saying, actually, and what you said, Vicki, this is relatable even beyond work. This is, this is, you know, even relatable to who we are just as human beings in order to grow in relationships, grow in friendships, um, grow just ourselves. We, we have to turn inward and look at ourselves to see, you know, what is holding myself back in this relationship? What is holding, you know, my, am I holding myself back from opportunities or growth or anything? So I think that, you know, not only just work, this taking this as work advice, but also, you know, this could be any sort of um, advice for just growth as just a human being, really. Yeah, I think that's what it's about, um, for me at least, is ripping that Band-Aid off, uh, being okay with being uncomfortable, and 
challenging myself. Sorry, that was another squeaky door, but <laughs> challenging myself has really allowed me to see things in a different light. And I think if you focus on it from a personal level, then it'll reflect in your professional atmosphere, you know, your professional environment. But for me, I think that if I wanted to, you know, I'm young, I still have a lot, a lot of time to learn. And if I really wanted to be an effective leader for my team, then I needed to learn how to be an active listener and be willing to take feedback, which is not always easy to do when the feedback they're giving you is saying, well, we would rather do this or this didn't work. So could we do this? Or, you know, ultimately you always want to make the best decisions for that team or for your, you know, whatever the situation is. But I think having that approach of saying, I want to go to my peers and ask for feedback, or I want to go to my team and, or my, you know, mentors and say, what can I do to improve? I think that's, that's key to finding that inner happiness. Yeah. So that wraps up today's episode with Vicki. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Vicki, for um, pretty much three hours. It's not three hours on the podcast, but <laughs> you were on here three hours, honey. So thank again, seriously, thank you for giving us the insight that you give us um, as far as you know what you do, um, why you're passionate about what you do um, and your career and how you got into your career and what keeps you motivated and driven in your career. Um, and I hope that you know that, you know, I don't know what I hope you know, but that's it. I don't know what I hope you know, but we know. <laughs> it's too late. My ears are burning. Somebody's talking about me and I can't think right now. Somebody's talking about me. Sometimes some of the stuff you say, Audrey, my ears are burning. Somebody's talking about me. My, hey, that's a real when thing. When no, your ears are burning, me. someone is, my, look, it's red. Girl, if that was the case, my ears would be burning all the time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> This has been another episode of Ambitious Appalachia. We'll have another um, episode released in two weeks. Um, until then, tell your friends and bye. Bye. Peace. Bye. <laughs>